God's angel spoke to Philip. At noon today, I want you to walk over to that desolate road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. He got up and went. He met an Ethiopian eunuch coming down the road. The eunuch had been on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and was returning to Ethiopia, where he was minister of finance uh, to told Philip, climb into the chariot. Running up alongside, Philip heard the eunuch reading Isaiah and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he answered, how can I without some help? And he invited Philip up into the chariot with him. I'm a little less special. Uh, and that's the tension. So, and that's the whole tension in the conflict of the show Barney. No, it's not. It's, um, but it's, it's actually a tension in almost all faith endeavors. And when we look to the book of Acts, as a church is being established and growing, um, this is a central tension. You are special. You have this particular relationship with the living God. The biggest reality in the people's lives was Rome. 
and Rome didn't share their worldview or their faith, the Roman Empire. So for equivalence today, you would look at the way that we try to live our lives and the things that determine almost everything in our lives that touch every corner. So that's like here, it'd be like, how are people gonna afford a place to live? The economy, right? Whatever it is that's going to Then two weeks ago, Kim opened for us this really, really important concept, the revolution of the intimate, when she looked at the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and all of a sudden people are speaking in tongues, but she rightfully and helpfully pointed out that what they were speaking were languages. Um, <laughs> I can do this now. I'm not like a full-time minister at church, so I can. Um, this comes from Rick Calhoun. Um, he used to say that, because he used to travel around with a band, and, and they'd go to places that were really charismatic, and they'd be speaking in tongues. And if you've heard speaking in tongues, sometimes it's a language that people don't understand. So Rick taught me this, so you can blame it on him. If, uh, apparently, all you need to do is say, arrive on a Honda, leave in a Hyundai. Quick <laughs> And then you kind of like, and I actually talked to someone who was super into tongues and prayer languages about that, and it wasn't offensive to them at all. They said, no, like sometimes you just start. But in this case at Pentecost, they were actual languages. People would come from all over other parts of the world, and Kim had such a beautiful illustration for it as well. But they were hearing from the people who were overwhelmed by the power of the Holy Spirit their own language. This is about intimacy, not about spectacle. This is about joining with other people. So right from even before the church starts, it is going to be a church that connects with other people who are not like us. So today, one of the first stories of evangelism and mission and uh, in old language, leading someone to faith. And I'm grateful for this. Uh, it's almost entirely unlike what many of us have become familiar with in terms of what it means to share faith. I think it offers us a corrective and a way forward in terms of how to live our faith in a culture that is not dominated by Christian faith, even though in some ways dominated by the shadow of that, or Christendom at least. So the story. Philip, a follower of Jesus, he's part of this scattering. And so when you pick up the text, he's just on his own somewhere. So I don't know how you picture him. He's in some room somewhere. Um, Philip is just by himself, and he hears what he thinks is the voice of God. He's disconnected from other people. There's a persecution happening that's being led by Saul, right? And in the next chapter, that's gonna be an important part of the story. But Saul is overseeing a persecution that includes like beating and death and just horrible things. And an angel appears to Philip who is maybe hiding a little bit. And so this is a kind of dream or an angel. The real word you need to know for this, like theologically, is just theophany. It doesn't particularly matter if it's an angel or a dream or however. God appears and speaks to Philip. It's a theophany, an appearance of God. And what Philip believes that he hears is that God says, go. Leave your room, leave your place, and without GPS or a road atlas, there's a road, it's in the desert, it goes from here to here. Find that road and you're going to find something there and I want you to just go. So he goes. And he finds this desert road, and he sees this ornate, kind of decorated chariot. This is a diplomatic delegation from another country that had been visiting and is on the way back. Turns out from Ethiopia. God says to Philip, stay with the chariot, the chariot's moving. So you get almost a comedic scene of Philip literally running beside the chariot. Just this insight, it's fantastic. He runs beside the chariot and he hears 
because back then, much more than now, but it helps to do this now, if you were reading a text, particularly a text that you might think is something sacred, you would read that out loud. It's an oral tradition, but this Ethiopian eunuch happened to have a copy of something, which would be very rare, and was reading from the book of Isaiah and from this passage. So Philip can hear this, so he says, and it's the message translation that was read for us. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And I picture him kind of breathlessly running. And I picture the Ethiopian eunuch going, what is happening? There's this man running beside the chariot and now hollering in, do you get what you're reading? <laughs> and, and the Ethiopian eunuch says, how could I? What he'd been reading was about one who would sacrifice on behalf of all the world like a lamb to the slaughter. So Philip says to the Ethiopian eunuch, you're reading about Jesus Christ. And he just outlines for him. Well, first he's invited in. He doesn't have to keep running. Even that, we'll get to what's happening in, in a moment, but to the kind of um, uh, boundary-breaking nature of what's happening. But the Ethiopian eunuch invites Philip into the chariot. Philip goes in, sits beside him, and then says, let me tell you about who you're reading from. The eunuch responds, spirit moves, he would say. The eunuch responds and says, so Philip obviously has gone through some of this with him, and says, well, there's some water right, right there, some water in the desert. Why don't, why don't I get baptized right now? And Philip obliges. Baptizes him as a mark of this Ethiopian eunuch coming to faith. It's very simple. And, uh, and then, I think maybe the best part of the story, then Philip disappears. They both go on their way. Philip, uh, Philip now, no GPS, no map, no need, God teleports him. It's a fantastical story. I just want to bring out a few things. I think I have four little points and no screen to this, so you have to kind of draw pictures for yourself. Okay? The first point is that this story has to do with sharing faith. And I don't know any Christian person who is entirely comfortable with sharing faith. And I, I think it makes perfect sense. Many of you come from backgrounds where you were kind of told with a finger wag, you better be witnessing. You better tell them about Jesus. And yet there's something in you that even, even if you have a vibrant and deep faith that sometimes can push against it. I think that can be a thought. Sometimes the sharing of faith, even inadvertently, but sometimes on purpose, has sought to eradicate difference. Like there is something lacking in that other person and they need to become more like me. And if you have felt reluctant about that kind of faith sharing, God bless you. That's not what this is. That's not what this is about. It doesn't happen here. I remember as a young, young youth pastor, not an old youth pastor, but a young youth pastor in our church. There was a course. It was called the Contagious Christian. And we went into the church basement, and you know, one night a week we would learn, and they had role playing and stuff, and little videos. And I had to attend because I was a youth pastor, but I'm going to confess to you, I didn't really like it. Now, it was well-meaning, and the people were wonderful who were running this thing. I also now think, like since 2019, the term contagious Christian, <laughs> in terms of some churches that were saying no vaccines, whatever, means something different. But anyway, 
I, I don't want to prescribe too much here. I just want to tell you we have company. I don't have a plan or a program or a class. I only have a prayer. And that prayer is, Heavenly Father, show me what it means to lovingly live and share faith. Because I don't quite know it yet. But this story helps. Too often we're driven by obligation, guilt, or fear. You know, if you go back even further than, say, contagious Christian classes, you might go to a crusade, interesting name, or something else, and you would hear the minister say, you could leave here tonight and get hit by a bus. So this is your chance. So then fear is driving. Not fear, not eradication of difference. We need a different motivation. And it's in this story. And it's one of the first stories of evangelism in the entire early church. But we skip over it, or we make it mean something. The second thing in this story, so first sharing faith, second really important concept, the concept of difference. How many issues of our day, right now, and we would have a range of political views even in this room, even though it might lean one particular way, as to what we are supposed to do about difference, about people who are different in terms of gender, about people who are different in terms of belief, about people who are different in terms of politics, and we would say, this is what acceptable, but, but don't go anymore. We still don't really know what to do with difference, and this story has difference all over it. Do you hear again? Go and run through the desert road, Line up beside the chariot, run beside the chariot, and inside the chariot is an Ethiopian eunuch. How much different could you get than that? You know what a eunuch is, right? Someone who's been castrated. Someone who is neither unambiguously male or female in those days in that understanding. And this person is one of the first converts. May God have mercy on us for what we've done. One of the first converts made different, of course, by the fact that they're a eunuch, but also by the fact that they're Ethiopian. They're not just black, they're Ethiopian. This is so different in terms of all the categories, this person. And God is saying, and this is what I long for the Spirit to allow us to hear, go, that one, let them know they are not outside of my life. In the history of the Christian church, there's been a tendency to demonize difference. Like, if you, you don't have to go that far back, not just to cast difference as unacceptable, but actually to demonize it, to say it's dark, it's devil, it's other, you know, and many, there's many kind of historical examples of leaders who uh, promote this, that difference is somehow demonic. In our day more, it's been not maybe demonic, but like unacceptable, not quite Christian, not quite us. That's the remnants of the darker way of looking at it. And so any kind of, any kind of um, endeavor of sharing faith begins to open up the possibility of things like colonial aspects, right? Sharing a, forcing a culture rather than sharing faith. Eradicating difference. 
those things that have sought to eradicate difference, and I'll say this to the story, are not of Jesus Christ. But we have a lot to recover from. We need a new and renewed by the Holy Spirit view of difference in faith that does not diminish Christian faith one tiny little bit. In fact, it's more Christian. And those who have struggled with sharing faith, you know this, don't you? Because you know that any program to eradicate difference does not feel right to you. Our faith is not demonstrated in eradicating difference. It's demonstrated in embracing difference. And Christian churches should be leaders in this movement, not those reluctantly following. It is not more Christian to insist on sameness. We ought to long for a deeper faith that asks these questions boldly and courageously and understands that it doesn't weaken our faith one bit. Third point. This story gives us a picture that God's love transgresses boundaries. If you want to know what God's love is like, one of the things that God's love does is transgresses boundaries right from the very beginning. And in the book of Acts, as the early church is established, God's love transgresses boundaries right from one of the first converts. This is one of the first conversion narratives after Pentecost and the breakout of this persecution. You might look back a few chapters. Remember when Peter stands up and speaks after Pentecost? After Pentecost, so Acts chapter 3, 2, 3, and following. And Peter is speaking, and the people in charge at the time of you know, the world the Romans and their kind of proxies in that neighborhood say, Peter, you don't get to speak. You don't get to speak. They're the powers, they're the judges. Peter and John and the others who are sharing Christian faith are the judged, and the judges say, you don't get to speak. Now, the judges could have crossed that line and boundary and listened to the loving, right, life-giving message that Peter and John had, but they leaned on their power instead and said, no, you're not allowed to speak. Unfortunately, the history of the Christian church at many times, not all, there's some wonderful, fantastic stories in much of our heritage. But we also have to face that too often we've turned into the judges telling people who and who isn't allowed to speak. So it's, it's almost cliche for me to do this. Not a eunuch. Not an Ethiopian eunuch. Not a gay person. Not a woman. No voice. You don't get to speak. <clears throat> Willie James Jennings in his commentary on this section points out that words, it's the words that bring consequences, that bring punishments and action on the part of the powerful. And what he says is, any words that liberate people will, in terms of these power structures, when you begin to liberate people from whatever kind of way they're being held in definition, that's when you're going to face consequences. If your words are liberating, but the, it's actually the action happens, then the powers will come down on you. And we've seen that in the history of the church, unfortunately. God's love know this just this is almost like saying this is the faith you believe and i think most of you would like this maybe some of you wouldn't and that's okay i still like you um god's love transgresses boundaries 
is a boundary transgressing love. Your faith is not exercised in keeping, holding, making sure those boundaries aren't crossed. It's not protecting the gospel from people. It's the gospel breaking down barriers so that all people can hear, even those who are very different. And finally, over all of this, and so you have this point, this is like, um, you know, Sunday school answer. The answer is always Jesus. Even if it's squirrel, it's actually Jesus. So the last point is Jesus. The work that's happening here between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and they are joined just think of the picture of this one of the first evangelists in our church one of the first people he sits with beside intimately touching is an ethiopian eunuch but make no mistake this is not philip's program jesus is not enlisting himself into philip's program philip is participating in jesus program of showing and bringing faith to all so i'll say this carefully but so even good things Compassion, inclusion, right? Openness. This is not a campaign of one of those things that Jesus is serving. You know, like, oh, it's a good thing Jesus is inclusive because then, you know, he's part of what I want to do. This is better than that. This is the work of Jesus Christ, Son of God. And Philip gets to participate in it. But notice here at the end that Philip is disappeared. I like this as a someone who's made made a living from church um, because Philip doesn't get a chance to build anything right I always think like many of us today would be like there'd be like church of the desert road you know and we print stuff and bring people to it Philip just disappeared it's like God saying I'm not gonna let you mess this up and the Ethiopian unit goes on his way there's no crowd there's no money, there's nothing significant like we would think about it. And before baptism, there's no baptism class, there's no colonial activity, there's no Philip saying, let me talk about your uniqueness. Because if you're going to be part of this church that I'm part of, kind of some rules you've got to follow. None! God literally just disappears Philip. There's no sign-up sheets. The, the unit can't become part of Philip's, you know, non-profit. The unit remains different from Philip. But they're joined in faith. This is the work of Jesus Christ. Liberating words that have brought concrete actions. And for us to know that this is the work of Jesus that we long to see and to live from. Jesus not only spoke a liberating word, he was and is a liberating word. There was no chariot chasing evangelistic campaign after this. It's not about our plan to start whatever we're going to do next, right? It's to be attentive to the presence and call of the Holy Spirit, which we do need to be. Philip could have just stayed in the room, which maybe many of us would do. We need to hear that word. Even at the start, the very beginning, I'm so grateful, and I don't want to put my own kind of cultural things on this, but I'm really, really grateful that one of the first converts to our faith was an Ethiopian unit. May God give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name.